Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. In previous episodes, we conducted two separate interviews with Jewish women who live in the city of Lod and who experienced there in the days of rioting between Jews and Arabs inside Israel in May 2021, the violence from their Arab neighbors directed at Jews. In this interview, we speak with an Arab woman who lives in East Jerusalem and who experienced the other side of this terrible picture, Jewish violence and Arabs living in fear. As always, I let her tell her story as she experienced it. I didn't question the Jewish women on claims that they made, nor did I do that in this interview either. There are pieces of her descriptions that are painful to listen to. And in the spirit of challenging us all to expose ourselves to sides of the story with which we are uncomfortable, I think it's simply very important to hear what she has to say. As different as Iman's story is that from Tahel or Dina, the women we interviewed in Lod, listen carefully and you'll hear parallels. The utter ineffectiveness of the police, the fear, a sense of desperation, and despite everything, a hope that somehow... Jews and Arabs in this land can learn to live together. Here's our conversation. So I am sitting today with Iman Ansari, who is a friend and a colleague who lives in East Jerusalem. We have in previous episodes talked to, it happens to have been two women who live in the city of Lod, uh, who experienced what happened in the city of Lod during the recent war between Israel and Hamas. And we said then that there was, of course, a very different side to this story, which unfolded in East Jerusalem. Uh, and it was important for us to hear from someone who lived through it and who lives there of uh, what happened. So, Iman, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to come and share um, your experience. And I also want to point out to our listeners that you're doing this interview not in your first language and not in your second language, but I guess English is your third language? Yep. Okay, so I don't think most people listening to this probably don't even have a second language and certainly don't have a third language. So uh, it's really, it's kind of very gutsy to do an interview like this in a language that's not your first or your second, but is your third. So for that also, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So maybe we'll just start by having you tell us just, you know, a little bit about you, where you live, what you do, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so my name is Iman Ansari. I live in uh, Attur in Mount of Olives in East Jerusalem. Uh, I'm a mother <laughs> of the two. Um, now I'm working as a teaching assistant at uh, Shalem College and a research assistant at the Jerusalem Institute uh, for Policy Research. I've got my bachelor's degree um, 
from the Hebrew University. I studied geography and Arabic literature, and now I'm doing my master's degrees at the same place. I'm studying Arabic literature and urban planning. And what do you want to do with urban planning, you think? I think I want to, to, to work on East Jerusalem because I know there is uh, not, uh, they're not planning there. So I think it's important to be an Arab a woman who can planning, uh, especially transportation. Right, transportation is actually a huge issue in all of Israel now because this, this, the roads are so overcrowded and public transportation is not sufficient. So it's important issue in Israel in general and definitely in, in, in East Jerusalem for sure. Um, so I think a lot of our listeners may not know a lot about the status of Arabs who live in East Jerusalem. Um, what are you a citizen of? What are you not a citizen of? Where do you have a passport? Where do you not have a passport? Give us a little bit of background about that. Okay, I, I think this is the most important thing to talk about because actually myself, I don't know I'm belonging to whom because I'm, I'm, I'm telling to all the people that I am, I am Palestinian, but I don't have any identity that shows that I'm Palestinian. So I have um, a, a Jordanian passport written there that I am a Palestinian but on the other side I have a travel document from state of Israel written there that I'm Jordanian so actually <laughs> actually I don't belong to any country and uh, when I have to travel I should have all of these documents with me so the Jordanians say you have citizenship but you're not really Jordanian and the Israelis say you don't have no, you don't have citizenship, I right? The Jordanians say you're Jordanian. You have a passport. I'm sorry, you have a passport, yeah. but you're not really Jordanian. And the Israelis say, I guess it's called a laissez-passer, what you have from Israel, yeah. but you're really Jordanian, not Israeli, and so you're not a citizen actually of any country in the world, right? Exactly. And in Israeli elections, which Israeli elections can you vote in, and which can you not vote in? I can vote for the um, um, municipality. Municipality. And I can't vote to the Knesset, but I don't vote anyway. <laughs> you can or cannot vote for the Knesset? I cannot. Right, you cannot. So yeah. you can vote for the municipality. Mm. You're not allowed to vote for the national elections in the Knesset, um, but you don't vote in any of the elections. No. no. Okay, and I think a lot of people are like you, right? A lot of people basically okay. boycott the elections because they don't feel that the system is the way they want it to be. Mm. Um, okay, what would you say in general, I mean, I know this is a kind of a, a, a huge generalization, maybe you want to just speak for yourself or the larger group, whatever you think, but um, if you were to ask people what resolution to this sort of very crazy status of not being a citizen of either country, living in Jerusalem but not being part of Israel, living in East Jerusalem but not being part of Jordan, if, you were, to, if we were to go to East Jerusalem now and ask people, um, what would you like the situation to be in 20 years? What would, they, what would they like the resolution of this sort of amorphous situation to be? Well, I think it's a, a complicated question <laughs> because uh, the situation of East Jerusalem is uh, not easy. And now there is a revolution of changing the um, educational system in East Jerusalem, which is also hard to accept this uh, I don't know what will be in 20 years but I hope it will be better for all of us and uh, although I kind of lost hope because of what happened recently or because of what happened recently yeah because uh, 
I want to talk about it, actually. Um, yes, yeah, so let's go there right now. Let's go right to that. We're going to talk about what happened during uh, the, the Hamas-Israel conflict last month or two months ago now. Uh, but what happened in East Jerusalem? So tell us what you experienced. Okay, so I told you before, I live in Atur, and there is, in the middle of the neighborhood, there is a settlement. And because of that, uh, the police were all the time in the neighborhood. And there's a settlement, meaning there's Jews who have bought or taken over houses. What does settlement mean? Um, how many people, how many buildings? I don't know how many people, but there is uh, four big buildings. And in the other side, there is a Jewish that took the houses. Okay. So uh, there is two different uh, uh, places, but in the same neighborhood. So when all of the hatred came out in this uh, few months ago, they go out and shot our homes, the settlers. They shot your homes? Yeah. With guns and... Yeah. And the... The Palestinians uh, called the police and asked for help, but the police said what we can do for you, so they didn't do anything. So the Palestinian kids shot the fireworks, and only then the police intervened and sprayed skunk water on our walls, on the Al-Maqasid hospital, a Palestinian hospital. They, they sprayed into the hospital, and I have to smell this all <laughs> every day. And what it was like sewage water or yeah, it's yeah. sewage water, yeah. And um, <laughs> do they do that anywhere else? I mean, usually when they use water cannons, it's just clean water, right? Like in other they, places, yeah. but with the Arabs, they all the time use the, the skunk water, really. Yep, just okay. prayed us, <laughs> um, oh. yeah. So the smell of the neighborhood was every day not good. And we heard all the time the fireworks at night that my kids, uh, they couldn't sleep of this uh, right. sound. And was anybody injured in the shooting at your homes? Thank God not. But in Sheikh Jarrah, you know, there is a shouting, they shot. But in our, my neighborhood, thank God there wasn't any injured. And so how long did this go on for? How many days? Or? I don't remember, but it was every day uh, for a, a while. For a while, yeah. And so there was, there was. Did they shoot at the houses um, every day? Or, yeah, 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 every day. And the police standard didn't do anything. That's what, that's what make us afraid to go out from the house because if the police didn't intervene, then so how can I believe that they will? Um, defend me or something. Right, so I remember that when we were going back there, you have several colleagues who teach here at Shalem uh, in the Middle East and Islamic Studies Department, mostly teaching Arabic language, um, who said to us, we can't come in. We have to go back to Zoom. But we have to go back to Zoom not because of Corona. We have to go back to Zoom because we're actually afraid to come out of our houses and come to work. Which for somebody like me who didn't know what was happening in East Jerusalem, that was the first realization that I had that, wow, there's a different reality over there. If she's afraid to come out of her house and get on a bus, then that's a very, it's, it's a, I don't know, 15 minute drive from here or something without traffic, but it's a whole different, it's a whole different universe. Um, what were they trying to accomplish, these Jews who were shooting at the Arab homes? What do you think they were trying to, were they trying to hurt people? What, what was their goal? I think they're trying to show that they are, they got the power and 
they have they got the power to control us to control the neighborhood like I remember before they came into the neighborhood we we freely go around the neighborhood but now no like last year in Kippur the holy Yom Kippur yeah, yeah <laughs> the police closed the, shut the road they 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 put road blocks yeah, road blocks on the that we could easily go with cars and the situation wasn't like that years ago. Now, why did they so, put roadblocks on the road on Yom Kippur? Because they don't want us to drive. To drive. Right. So in all of Israel, just so people understand, in all of Israel, nobody drives. Nobody drives in Israel on Yom Kippur. You can't get a taxi on Yom Kippur in Israel. You can walk. Like a five-year-old or a ten-year-old can take their bicycle in the middle of the highway when there's really yeah, but no that's cars. In West Jerusalem. Right, exactly. That's my point. That's in West Jerusalem. East Jerusalem is an entirely Arab community. You're saying, or in, until the buses East... to drive in on Friday, Saturday. Right. Or... It's a it's a completely different religious culture, and so you're saying there was never any attempt to stop people from driving until these people moved into the neighborhood. How many years ago was that? Well, maybe nine years. Oh, so it's been a while already. And so for the last nine years, they've put these roadblocks no, or just more recent, years, just the last two years to make sure. And your argument, I guess, is that what the police are trying to say is even though the huge majority of people in this neighborhood are obviously Arabs and there's a small cluster of Jews, it's the Jews religious preference somehow you're saying that is going to determine what Yom Kippur looks like in Atur, which is an Arab town, basically an Arab neighborhood in, in East Jerusalem. So, okay, so they're, they're trying to show that they have the power, you're saying, when they went out to, to shoot at the houses. Was there damage? They go, did they shoot through windows? The, the windows, hit? yeah, the windows got broken. But, yeah, I think they want to... Sh I think they hit us. <laughs> they hate you? Yeah. Why do they hate you? Because I think there is hatred from both sides because we are... There is a conflict about the land, who was here first, and... I think now this is not important to know who know who was here first. We have to learn to live with each other. I think that's what we should concentrate on. And um, there are obviously people on both sides who agree with you, right? I mean, there's the, you know lots of Jews who agree with you that we have to sort of work to learn to live together. And um, we just interviewed. I mentioned to you before that we interviewed among other people Shira Lawrence. Uh, and Noy Mordakovich, who run 0202, that organization is completely about that, right? And I interviewed a, a woman who lives in Lod, uh, who went to Lod specifically to live in a neighborhood where Jews and Arabs live together, and her building Jews and Arabs living together, and that's what she wanted to be in. Um, so there are people definitely on both sides, the Jewish side and the Arab side, who believe in coexistence, but as you're saying, there's people on both sides, obviously, who don't. There's obviously Arabs who don't believe in coexistence, and unfortunately you're dealing with Jews who don't believe in coexistence. So they were firing, they broke the windows, bullets are coming into the house. Uh, did you have to like move beds and things away from the windows? Or? No, thank God. No, I didn't have to do that. But uh, I don't know what's happened to other, my other neighbors because they live on the streets. Uh -huh. And so you were, you were kind of set back from the street a little yeah. bit? Yeah, so I smelled the gas and <laughs> the skunk water the, the yeah the sewage water the yeah i mean there's different terms for it and you so okay so the police use this sewage water to do what they sprayed it into the hospital why they spray it into the hospital i don't know 
If the, you know the answer, please yeah, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't anything happening at the hospital, right? No, no. But I think because it was um, uh, chaos of, on all the neighborhoods, so the ambulance get the get the protestation or the people to the hospital. Maybe because of this, they want to make the situation harder. Did they spray that kind of water in anybody's house or no? On the walls. On the walls outside the house. Yeah. Through the windows also or? No. no. Okay. Um, so the shooting is going on mostly at night or during the day also? At night. Only at night. That's interesting because that's what happened in Lod also in the other in the other direction. I, I guess think the it's nights... also Ramadan. So after we eating, breaking the our fast, we have the power. <laughs> <laughs> right. So while everybody's fasting, uh, it's interesting how fast days came up. We're talking about Yom Kippur. And now we're talking about Ramadan. So this whole fasting thing is a big part of both traditions. Um, we just had, obviously, in the Jewish calendar, we had Shiva Sarva Tammuz, the 17th day of Tammuz last Sunday, right? So both of our traditions are actually very similar. I mean, everybody talks about how different everybody is, but the truth is that Judaism and Islam are much closer to each other than, than Christianity, obviously, is to either one of them. Okay, but um, so yeah, so it's Ramadan, everybody's fasting, and so you're tired and you're a little bit, you know, draggy, as we say in English, and then have a meal and feel good and then people have energy and you're saying that's why people went out to the streets after the fast. I think because we are in Ramadan after the iftar we're going to Bab al-Amud to pray at Al-Aqsa Mosque. So you know what happened? They shut Bab al-Amud, the mosque's gate where people gathered after they breaking their fast and there the people singing, um, talking, drinking coffee, doing a lot of activities and in Ramadan the police decided to close it. So that makes the the chaos. The, chaos. No, uh, anger. Oh, anger. Okay, chaos. Yeah. Okay. The, the anger increased. Um, okay, so there was so there's a lot of things happening at the same time, right? There's tension at the Damascus Gate. There's a police presence in El Aqsa, mm -hmm. and uh, closing off some of it. And there is the shooting in the village and there's this police sewage water spraying going on from water cannons yeah what else is going on okay and there is at uh, the most holy night laylatul qadr when the quran was given to the prophet muhammad peace be upon him so people in that night come to the pray at al-aqsa mosque till the morning women also or just men women and men so there is a Palestinian, 48 Palestinian, uh, that lives living in the north, came to pray. So the police <laughs> uh, blocked the roads in front of the buses and they prevented them to camp to pray. So that makes the, <laughs> that makes the anger much worse. Much worse, yeah. And so how do people respond? They're on these buses, they want to go to Al-Aqsa, the roads are blocked. So they went, uh, they went off the bus and started uh, walking and the... Uh, People from East Jerusalem go to to bring them in their cars oh. to bring the people. So where were these buses from? They were coming from all over? The north, yeah. The north, like the Galilee? Or, yeah. Okay, exactly. so they were coming from the Galilee. So the buses aren't for people from East Jerusalem. They came in their cars or we could even walk, really, right? From Atur, you could easily walk to Al-Aqsa. Exactly. Yes. Okay, I see. So when the buses are blocked, people use their private cars to go take people who got off the buses and help them Yeah, get. and when the police see that happen, they removed the blocks because uh, they saw that they couldn't prevent the people to 
to go to Lhasa. Okay, so in the end, the roadblocks are removed. The people, I guess, some people got back on the buses. Maybe some people didn't get back on the buses. The buses go. And people, at the end of the day, were mostly able to get to Al-Aqsa for the yeah. prayers. Yeah. Right, but they there's go. a tremendous amount of resentment, I guess, because they feel like they're being pushed and shoved. Okay, now... I'm sure if yeah, because the the road is like three hours and the bus, and then you, after one hour, you have to eat your food because you have to break your fast, and then they tell you you should turn around and go back. It's not right. So now I'm sure if we brought in uh, an officer from the police now and have them sit right next to us right here, she or he would have something very different to say. But that's a different conversation. Let's just talk about how it understand. You know, you're an intelligent woman. I mean, you're a graduate student at Hebrew University. You know, you're pretty smart. So from your perspective, mm-hmm. why, why would they do this? I mean, what's the, what's the point of blocking the buses? Of, now, many of these people going to Galilee, they're actually Israeli Arabs, right? I mean, they're completely Israeli citizens. Right? I mean, they're as, as Israeli as I am. They have the same rights, the same passport, the same two dots of... I mean, but... <laughs> okay, I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that they're treated equally, but I'm saying like, legally like, we have the same rights. Like in America, obviously, there are, you know, whites and there's Asians, or there's whites and there's African Americans, there's mm-hmm. whites, and legally they have the same rights. They're not treated the same way. I mean, every country, unfortunately, has that. So... But in terms of the legalities, these people who are getting on the buses and coming to Al-Aqsa have every single right that I have as an Israeli Jew living in West Jerusalem. They're citizens. I'm a citizen. They can vote. I can vote. They have a two, that's a hood. I have a two, that's a hood. So what, in your mind, is the purpose of blocking these buses of Israeli citizens who want to go to Al-Aqsa? Okay. Um, let's, let's say that that doesn't happen happened, uh, every day. They did this just in this years because of the situation. I think had the war with Hamas already started. Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is during the war. Yeah, this is during the war. I think, I think they were afraid that we are the Palestinian from the north and from East Jerusalem and from the West Bank gathered and be like one person. I think. Um, I can't speak freely, right? Completely <laughs> free. Um, yeah, I think uh, they want to um, uh, to separate us. Like that's why we have a different um, uh, status. So, yani, we're jealous from the north, from Palestinian for the north, because they have more free movement and. The Palestinians who live in the West Bank, I think they are jealous from us because also they don't have the free of movement and that they can't. Yeah. And are you guys? You you have you have Israeli health care, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're part of Kupat Cholim of of one sort, and the Palestinians in the West Bank are not. Are not. Right. They're part of the Palestinian health care system. Yes. So what you're saying is this is really important for people to understand. There's, you. We'll use the word Palestinians to describe all these groups at the same time. So when you say Palestinian, you can mean a person living in the West Bank. You could mean a person living in East Jerusalem. You could mean what I might call an Israeli Arab living in the Galilee or living in Haifa or living wherever. You're going to use the word Palestinian to describe them. And Israeli Arabs, again, my term, not your term, I understand that, but Israeli Arabs 
also now call themselves Israeli-Palestinians. I mean, that's, that's a very important thing for people listening to understand, that there's, as you were saying, there's a kind of a very con- conflicted and complicated set of identities here, like mm-hmm. for, each, for each of these groups of people, mm-hmm. right? So for Arabs living in East Jerusalem, not really Jordanian, not really Israeli, very Palestinian, but Israeli-Palestinians, Israeli citizens who are of Palestinian origin, they can vote in all the elections. They have much more freedom of movement than you do. You, by virtue of being a citizen of East Jerusalem, have Israeli health care and other rights that come to you as by being a citizen of the city of Jerusalem. But obviously you can't vote in national elections, but you have much more than Arabs living in the West Bank have. So what you're saying is that there's different levels of rights and different levels of freedom of movement. And if I understand you, and tell me if I'm getting it wrong, what you're saying is that the Israeli police during this war with Hamas, had an interest in these three groups not all feeling like one. And they were afraid that if everybody got together at Al-Aqsa on the holiest night of the year, that somehow the kind of religious passion and the national feelings that were flowing at that time might all come together. And I guess they were nervous about what that could could do. So, okay, that's what they might say if they were sitting here, but they're not here. So... um, but what you're saying is that it, it, it creates a tremendous amount of resentment, right? I and mean, that's what I, what I hear you say. Resentment is like, um, like it, anger or feelings of um, that it's unfair mm-hmm. that, that, they're, that they're blocking these buses or whatever. So now the roadblocks get taken away because they realize it's useless, they're not working. Uh, and then people did go to Al-Aqsa, right? And they prayed and yeah. they were there for the night. You stay all night? Yeah. or. Till yeah. the dawn, till the sun comes up. Yeah, and okay, and then then that's yeah, that's the end of Ramadan, right? Or more or less, yeah. more or less for somebody like me. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, how did it start? What what caused it to begin to calm down? Just the fact that the war ended, or everybody kind of got tired. But how did it how did it begin to die down? Um, wow, it's a good question. Um... Do you think it's come down? I don't live in East Jerusalem. You do. I mean, are you when you walk out in the street now? Are you scared? Actually, when the police see me, they stop me all the time. They asking about my identity card and my car's identity and asking me where are you going, where you what are you doing. And, and is it, that different from how it used to be? Now, okay, it happens all the time, but now it's more. Um, Aggressive, maybe? Is that the word you're looking for? It's more constant? It's more constant, yeah. yeah. So it used to happen, but now it happens. And, and when they do that to me, they're doing in the West, West Jerusalem, but now in my neighborhood, doing that? Come on. Right, and these, okay, in West Jerusalem, you're saying it's an entirely Jewish part of the city, so if they see an Arab woman walking around, they might stop her and ask her, what are you doing, where are you going? But you're saying to do that in an Arab section, but what's the point? I mean, we all live here. What's the point of stopping us all the time? Am I security, security threat in my neighborhood? Right, right obviously. On. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked you what got it to calm down, and you said, what makes you think it calmed down? But there isn't shooting anymore, right? Yeah, I think when the, the war stops to Gaza, I think things started to calm down. But we can't forget that there is the story of the Sheikh Jarrah. It's still right. We talked. We covered that for Sheikh those who were listening. And and right. So we covered. Uh, we covered the whole issue of the evictions. The eviction. Um, My aunt lives in Sheikh Jarrah, and is this... she in one of the buildings that might get? She might get evicted. Yeah. 
and I couldn't visit her uh, because of the roadblocks that they did. So. so okay, so that's very complicated, and we actually did a we did a podcast uh, with Yotam Ben Hillel, who's actually an Israeli lawyer who represents Palestinians who are seeking their residential rights. So people who are listening but didn't hear that one can go back and and hear that one. Um, was anybody actually injured in the? Were any Arabs in East Jerusalem in your neighbor, let's say in Atur, were any, was anybody actually injured either from the shooting or from getting beaten up or from being attacked by Jews? They were clearly very scared and very frightened. Obviously, was anybody injured? Yeah, of yeah. course. By by whom? How? What? What happened? Okay, so. Do you want all about the neighborhood in East Jerusalem or just... Whatever you want to talk about. No, I, I saw a video that um, the police um, dropped a, a gas... Uh, Tear gas? Yeah, to, to the house. So there is a, a girl who's uh, 16 years old that injured and they shot um, matat. Um, rubber bullets? Yeah, and they shot their back. Shot her in the back. Yeah. Rubber bullet. But she was in her house. And How did she get shot in her house? Why did they shoot in the house? She wanted to... Uh, uh, wait. You said Hebrew, I'll translate it. That's it. You wanted to go out. Wanted to go, wanted to go out to the, from her house. The police told her to, to return to the house. So she returned. And during that, he shot her. And is there any investigation of this, or? Yeah, and there, there is a videos on YouTube about. No, it. but are the police being yeah, investigated? Yeah, yeah are, of course, are. because that this is not uh, moral. Right. So, there, so the Israeli police are actually supposedly investigating what happened. Um, were any so there so were there were there were Arabs in East Jerusalem who were injured by police, let's say tear gas, rubber bullets, yeah. etc. Were there any Arabs either in your neighborhood in Atur or in East Jerusalem in general who were injured by? Jewish rioters, Jews who are not part of the security forces, either throwing stones. Yeah, or... I heard a lot of stories about it. Yeah, they, you know, when they see an Arab, they all want to want to hit him. What what do you call it? In Ta- attack or? Um, I forget the word. Anyway, the, yeah, yeah, they've been attacked. Do you know anybody personally? Who no, was thank that? God. No, thank okay. God. So there was you, so probably in a tour where your neighborhood, you would have known them if it happened, right? So I'm assuming that in a tour, at least, there that's, was nobody who happened. was directly injured. But in East Jerusalem, at large, you're saying there, there were injuries. Yeah. Okay, so now we're a couple of months later. I mean, I say okay. I don't really mean okay. I just mean <laughs> we'll put a pause on that part of the conversation. So now we're we're in the middle of July. We're about two months, I guess, I forget the exact dates, but we're about two months after the war started. I think the war was in the early weeks of May. So um, it's almost two months. How do you, what do you think, where are we headed here? In other words, um, as a woman who has a, has a bachelor's degree from Hebrew University, is getting a master's degree from Hebrew University, who works in West Jerusalem at Shalem College, I mean, we're colleagues, we, we work here together. Um, so that's all good. But there's a very, very dark undercurrent that you're describing here that is a very different side of the picture. Um, what do you think that this is all gonna all the attention on the relationship between Jews and Arabs in Israel and in East Jerusalem is gonna move things to a better place? Do you think the fact that everybody realized how much hatred, that's the word that you used before, how much hatred there is, is gonna move things to 
a worse place? Where do you think we're going here? Of course, we are hoping for the best, but <laughs> I don't think that. I think the the power, the, the gap the, the is uh, is getting uh, um, wider. Wider. Um, What's causing that? Well, a lot of stuff. Yani, I, I told you about my the status of my citizen, but you don't know actually how I live in in my neighborhood. There is no open spaces. There is no garden. I have kids. In the corona, I don't. I didn't have a place to go with my children. Outside the house. Yeah. Outside the house, and actually, we we go into the French Hill neighborhood to the open spaces, and the police all the time ask ask for our identity. So just to make and it clear to people, French Hill is a Jewish neighborhood. Uh, it's very close to Atur. You can walk there pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, and in French Hill, like in West Jerusalem, there's parks, there's playgrounds, there's open areas. Um, so I haven't really been to Atur in a very long time, So, which also says something, right? I mean, I live 15 minutes away from you, and I haven't been to your neighborhood in a very long time. Um, there's no open spaces, there's no parks, there's no playgrounds. There is a park on the street, but it's... No, not no. not not no. not in anything meaningful. So when you try to go to French Hill, then you're saying the police are coming around to. Yeah, that's one. Two, I I used to go to the university by walking. It's like ten minutes walking. So beside the university, there is lighting, street lighting. There is a sidewalking, but <laughs> when I enter my neighborhood, there is no sidewalks. I I walking on the street beside the cars. There is no. Um, no street lightings. Lights. You can see the difference between the two neighborhoods, but actually they are. They're adjacent. They touch each other. Yeah. All right. So now, yeah. people who know the situation here know that there's been a lot less investment in infrastructure in East Jerusalem than West Jerusalem. I mean, like, I don't know what the numbers are, but the numbers have to be huge. I mean, everybody knows that. Doesn't make it okay, but everybody knows. But that's not new, right? That's not new, but. When all of this happened to us, and we see, like more day after day that happens to us, يعني, there is a lot of pressure. يعني, you know, I was surprised from the people that was surprised what the Arab did. So you were surprised yeah. that the Jews were surprised yeah. that the Arabs were so angry. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're saying is basically, if you lived how we lived, you'd be angry too. Yeah. And well, is that true also in Lod and in Yafo? You think in the same way? I think there is a, a black side of it because I, I told you before the police do not intervene between like families between fights. So that's make them to have guns to have things under the table, um, and the police shut their eyes. So. Yeah. So I just want to explain for people who don't necessarily know all the background. There's a huge issue in Israel of violence inside the, the Muslim community, inside the Arab community. And there's murders and there are, I mean, we've seen it in even the last couple of weeks. There's been, there was a woman who was murdered as part of a family feud. And then there was another guy, a young man who was murdered. Uh, and the Arab community in Israel says that the police are not doing nearly enough to do it. Among Israeli Jews, there are virtually no illegal weapons. Some people have weapons because they were officers in the army and they get a gun permit and all of that. Not that many guns running around Israeli society. In the Arab world in Israel, 
there's a lot of guns and there's, there's violence and there's a tremendous sense of fear from Arabs that the police are not intervening. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to also point out, it's just ironic and I don't want to take anything away from what you're saying at all, but just to kind of create links between our conversation and other conversations that we have, we were talking to people in Lodz who said exactly the same thing about the police. In other words, they said they called the police and the police said, what can we do? Um, so there's a problem with the police in general. It's, it's a, there's a definite problem with police and Arabs in East Jerusalem, but there may be a much wider problem with the police in Israel being understaffed, underfunded, poorly trained. I mean, that's a whole other Israeli conversation, but people should just know that there's a lot of attention now on policing, just like there is in a different way in America now. America, they're talking a lot about policing because of racial issues and, mm -hmm. and so forth. All right, so you're saying that... Um, this has been going on for a very long time, and therefore you're surprised that people were surprised that there was violence. I get it. Yeah, but still, you say things are getting worse. You think things are. You think the feelings are getting worse. So, what's causing it not just to stay the same, but just to get worse now? Because we don't see anything change. Like the situation is getting more worse, and. Actually, I want to talk about myself. In, in this month, I was surprised of my student, Jewish student that I learned. They post on Facebook. You're talking about ones at Hebrew University or, or here? Here. Here at Shalem. Yeah. yeah. And one of them asked, demand that the police will be more violence to the Palestinians. So. <laughs> Is a student of yours? Yeah. Somebody you know. Yeah, somebody I know, somebody I teach, somebody. Yeah, we were had a great relationship. So that's what why I've lost her because I'm I'm teaching here like six years, and it's a lot of time, and uh, I get to know each one of my students, and we have memories. We we know each each other, and they know about my they know about me. <laughs> But uh, when these things came out, I didn't hear their voices or I just hear the, the ones who um, ask for violence and things. Well, they weren't really, I mean, I don't know, I didn't read the post, but I'm just guessing they weren't asking for violence. I'm guessing they were probably asking for the police to be stronger in to putting down. Do they say to use violence? Something yeah, like that? that's when I post to him videos to show how they are violent to us. And then what did he say? What he do, does? What what, this, he you showed the student these videos. Yeah, yeah. And what, I don't know, want to know who it is, but um, who? What did he say when he saw these videos? He said, "No, I didn't mean that." Yani, I don't know, but I I was shocked and I, I couldn't speak to them. Yani, there are students that tried to speak to me about this situation, and there is few that we could have a good conversation but there is another that they don't want to see the other side it's hard conversation yeah i know that uh, i cried many nights somebody told me recently actually the president of shalem college who listens to this podcast he said to me you should do a video podcast like you should do a video and i said no nah, it's too complicated i don't want to do video now but I have to tell you that at this moment, like right now, with you and me sitting here in my office, I kind of feel that he's right. And I'll tell you why. Because people could, if people could see your face, 
they would see on your face the level of pain that I don't think is coming through in the conversation. And, um, you know, you just said in a kind of a under your breath a minute ago that there were a lot of nights that, that you cried, um, probably out of sadness, out of fear. Um, and this description that you have this relationship with students, and I, I would imagine that this is true of people who teach in all Israeli universities. They have a certain relationship with them, and then we hit a, we hit a crisis, and it brings out um, I don't know, underlying hard feelings, underlying hatreds, to use the word that you used before, and so forth. And you're saying basically, I think, if I understand you, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not that the situation on the ground is actually changing. It's people that are running out of patience. People are just, it's not getting any better. So if it's not getting any better, it's getting worse, and there's a, there's a feeling of resentment. Yeah, that's what I said, that because people who I know, I teach, they still thinking with this mentality. Right, and so like... Uh, Right, so was, you have to, to change the mentality to change the, the situation. And how do we do that? I believe that we have to talk, to, to learn each other languages, to see each other. But now I'm, I'm not sure. Now I'm you're not, not sure, sure if it's going to work or you're yeah. not sure if, if there's anything to do. Now, if you're right about that, that's pretty bleak. That's pretty dark, right? I mean, um, that's how you feel, though? Yeah. But as I feel, you think that that's the feeling that um, most of your family and neighbors have? I don't know. I can't talk about how my family and friends feels because they doesn't have the experience that I had. I, 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 learned, I learned at the Hebrew University. I have Jewish friends. I teaching Jewish. But others, they don't have this relationship with Jewish children. Right. So in a way, your relationship with Jews, both at Hebrew University, where they are were first fellow students and now they're colleagues, and your relationship with Jews here at Shalem, who are both your students and some of us are colleagues, uh, it actually makes it harder in a way, right? When you hear that you have these relationships that are professional and very nice, and then something happens and... It kind of reminds you that there's like wallpaper. You know, you put wallpaper on the wall, but the cracks in the wall are, are, are still there in a way. Um, yeah, am I getting it right? Is that more or less what you're... I think, yeah. And somehow also because of my experience, I don't feel like I um, belong to the Palestinian community or to the Israeli community because I'm, I'm standing like in the middle. So it's also different for me to, to be in my community with this mentality. Um, if you could, um, I mean, your kids are little right now. They're what, four, four, four and two, or something yeah. like that, right? Um, so they'll be teenagers in ten years. Um, if they were, if you were to sit them down one night at home and say to them, "Okay, I'm going to give you a piece of wisdom about this situation. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to think. Here's." This is my. This is your mother's bit of you know a package of wisdom. What would you What would you want to tell them? Okay, I want to tell them first of all, do not judge judge people for their appearance or for their religion. You have to love each other, and don't forget your Palestinian identity. I think it's important to have this. To remember it that we are Palestinians. And we have to love all the people. That's my message 
not only for my children, for all the world. Love each other, learn how to live with each other, and then I think the peace will come. We don't need we we don't need to be a war or just love. Spread love. <laughs> So look, we're going to wrap up, but I'll say, look, I don't know how much that message is going to get out into the wor your larger world or my larger world, even though I wish it would. But I do know this. I do know that your kids are going to do that because of the mother that they have. I mean, I just know you. And so um, at least about those two kids, that message will, will be heard. And, you know, my kids are, my kids are older. My kids are probably your age. But... Um, and my kids have kids your kids' age, so presumably they're around the same age. But we really tried also to um, to raise our kids with the same with the same attitude. And by the way, I can, I'm just remembering now. It's the first time I've thought about this in a really long time. But when the Intifada broke out in 2000, um, one of our kids was in high school and studying Arabic. And they came home and said, I don't study Arabic anymore. Like they're, they're attacking us, they're blowing up buses, they're blowing up restaurants. I don't want to study Arabic. And I remember my wife and myself sitting down and explaining that it's exactly the wrong, it's exactly the wrong attitude, right? Um, and what you're saying is a lot of the same things happened here, that people reached a boiling point and people are pulling back and saying, I don't want anything to do with that other group. Um, and you want to tell your kids, um, that's the wrong way to go. The, wrong, the way to go is to try to build bridges whenever we possibly can, no matter how hard it is. So um, let's just end by, I'll, I'll, first of all, I want to really thank you. I know that this is a hard conversation, and I know that the memories of what you and your neighbors and your family experienced two months ago are really painful. And um, so I just see it, see it on your face how hard it is to talk about it. So I want to thank you for the courage in, in doing that. Uh, and I also want to say that for somebody like me, uh, it's a really important to have the reminder of just literally, we can look out the window of my, my office, right? We were just like six feet away. We can look out the window and see that part of Jerusalem. It's right there. Um, how different the world is and how much, how much people like me who live in West Jerusalem need to be acutely aware of the world in East Jerusalem. And just like you come to East Jerusalem, to West Jerusalem all the time because you work here, um, we've got to start going to East Jerusalem more and learning. And, um, you are more than welcome. <laughs> so why don't we do this? Why don't we wrap up by saying that I'm going to come over and you're going to show me around. Ahlan wa sahlan. Okay. Thank you once again very much for taking the time to do this conversation. I think it's really important. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.